Hello, Karnak Radio. We are here live on Facebook page, Karnak Radio Facebook page, on October the 27th, 2019. And I want to welcome everyone who is on our program tonight. Of course, this is Sunday night. We are on every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. Pacific, all time zones in between, and all time zones around the world. We have many people coming in on Sunday evenings. Of course, you know, Sundays anytime all around the world. Also, just like to remind you, we also live stream on Spiritism and the Spirit World around us on Wednesdays at the same time, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, all time zones all around. Now, why are we here tonight? We are here because we talk about Spiritism every Sunday night. Now, on this episode, we are going to talk about John's revelation. But before I get into that, I just want to tell everyone one more time, there's a new movie out on Netflix called uh, Kardec. I would like everyone to tell their friends to watch the movie. I think you'll enjoy it immensely. I uh, I enjoyed it. It tells you all about Kardec, how he was very reluctant to believe in spirits, and then certain things happened to him where he did believe in spirits. So, so let's get right to it. John's revelation. Now, I'm not going to go through and tell everyone what John's revelation means. That is not my uh, purpose at all in this talk. I'm going to come at it at a different point of view. I'm not talking about the meaning of what he said, because a lot of it's very mysterious, and I, I, you know, and there's interpretation of it in other spiritualist literature. But I want to go through John's vision on Patmos, the Greek island, what he saw in to show from what other spirits have said and what other, other people have had visions, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, how that aligns with John's journey to the spirit world. And fascinating, I started this because I read something very fascinating in one of Reverend G. Val Owen's books, when the spirits were talking about when John went to, and this is, and they said, yeah, and he probably saw this, right? He goes, and this made sense, what he said. And I thought, oh, this is very interesting. I hope other people like it because it shows that John, you know, in, in John's mind, he went and saw the vision and it, it, I want to show how it corresponds with other people who have seen visions in the spirit world. I think this should be uh, extremely interesting. So let's, let's start right at it. For those who aren't watching, uh, who are watching a live stream. So what, I'm, what I am going to do, I'm going to show some of the, of the information. Oh, wrong way. I want to show what it was said in John's Revelation, the book of Revelations, and how it corresponds with uh, what other people have said, with other spirits and other people of NDEs. Let's start with Reverend G. Val Owen. So the spirits who have communicated with the Reverend G. Val Owen have told him in various messages through the books that have been published of his communication with spirits about the vision that John had while taken up to heaven. They explained that John, while in his cave on Patmos, experiencing the complete wonderment of witnessing Jesus and his ministers, couldn't possibly completely understand what he was seeing. And I've talked about this many times in, in on my site, NW Spiritism, and in my YouTube channels, my YouTube videos, I should say, uh, 
which I mean, we're you're you're living on a three D world trying to interpret a whole new marvelous four dimension uh, universe. Which I mean, it's very difficult for us to process that we don't see it. So you know, I always call that um, is is you know, I use the example of Socrates' allegory of the cave, right? Which is these people are chained down and they can only see the shadows on the wall from a, a fire behind them and there's shadows on the wall there's just two dimension figures and that's all they can see now of course many people said well socrates allegory of the cave is how hard it is to understand we you know understand things we don't learn we you know we don't know from our point of view well i believe socrates who was a minister of jesus was really trying to tell us what the difference was between the physical universe to the spiritual universe and what it was like going from 2d to 3d and that's all he could say right if he, he he's, he's marvelously uh just a genius of course when he explained okay this is you know all you can see is 2d you're just seeing the shadows on the wall right and the one guy that escaped and went back and saw the real world and came back and said hey there's there's real world out there there's people and and not just height and width but depth of course, they killed him because they didn't understand what he was talking about. Of course, this foreshadowed Jesus Christ, right? So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the uh, highlight the passages in the book of Revelation, which are supported by direct spirit communication from the Reverend G. Val Owen or other spiritist mediums. And so first, let's talk about verse 14, a white shining Lord. So, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a, as a flame as of fire. So, John said when he was turned toward the voice that was speaking, he saw a white shining person. Now, his description of the whiteness and almost blinding light corresponds to what high spirits tell us about how humans perceive spirits in the spirit world who are at a superior level in heaven. Angels, high lords, Jesus himself are all difficult for us on earth to discern. This is because they reflect the love of God, which causes our human eyes to see bright light instead of their actual color and shape. In order for us to even see them, many times they need to deliberately make themselves denser so we are able to detect their presence. Therefore, John's view of a glaring white figure perfectly fits what we are told a lower spirit would perceive a higher spirit to be. And, of course, this is backed up in numerous near-death experiences and other visions people have had in the spirit world. They, you know, they'll say, in a near-death experience, they go, well, I, I saw my aunt and my uncle, and then this, this bright angel, right? And they see... They see this this brightness, and I, I believe a lot of times they misinterpret the brightness shining from, from their body to be wings. And they probably did in back in the ancient days too, where they saw this this bright light. And um, then, you know, they couldn't you can't make out the face because there's just too much brightness, right? If you see an overexposed, right, you cannot make out the face. In fact, I was at a mediums meeting. And my wife and I were there, and one of the mediums at the table said, yeah, I, because I saw over, 
in your, you know, your direction. I said, I've never seen a brighter figure. It's like, you know, it's the most brightest figure I've ever seen. So it must have been someone, uh, a spirit. It was a high spirit in that room at the time. So this, you know, I just, this is, I'm, this is so interesting of how these things correspond uh, from John's uh, revelation. Now, let's look at verse 16. Now, this should be extremely interesting to people. This is the flame of light coming out of the Lord's mouth, right? And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So, as he's talking, right, these like flashes of light come out, right? And you can kind of see the beginning and kind of the end. It's like like a two-edged sword, right? So, Arnell told the Reverend Jeeva Owen how spirits communicate in a message sent on December 14, 1920. Arnell was recounting how new spirits to the fourth sphere were acclimatized to the condition on that sphere when he brought up the teaching of languages. Now, the Reverend G. Val Owen's lack of adequate words to describe exactly how spirits speak to each other caused Arnell to describe in needed detail the different processes of spirit interaction. And this is what Arnell told to the Reverend G. Val Owen. We speak to other, we speak to each other in here in more ways than one. We speak by word of mouth in the lower spheres. This is how I tell you of it in its outward seeming. In any wise, these words are vibrations as are yours, and so the term will serve. Then we speak by picture flashes. Picture flashes. A mental picture is flashed from one brain to another near or distant. It may be seen at times as flashing like a sword of light darting from the lips and eyes into the atmosphere around where it loses visibility. Okay, let me reread verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. He saw Jesus giving messages via mental pictures that would flash out from his eyes and his mouth, and these would flash out. So, he goes, I'll carry on with what Arnell said. When it reaches its destination, the picture is set up before the mind of the recipient, and according to the character of the message, it is invisible to a near companion, or he is sensible of its arrival by luminescence ambient around the person of him to whom the message is sent. Then he also goes on, we also speak spirit direct. You know, and, and this is used between the more developed and seldom in the lower spheres. Now, I just had one of the persons write me, goes, yeah, I thought these verses were speaking metaphorically all these years, and so did I. This is what is so interesting. The more you read, the more you learn about spiritism and you read what uh, Jesus said in the New Testament, you start saying, well, these aren't allegories and you know parables some of these are just well a lot of them are right because he could not say the exact truth but some of the things he said were just like yeah this is it he said forgive 70 times 7 um it depends on the on 
on the interpretation that you read on the translation, but forgive many, many times. And, it's, and of course, we now in spiritism know if we don't forgive, then we could be uh, hounded, um, you know, by spirits that are obsess us. And then, of course, someone just wrote to like born again, right? Born again actually means born again. It doesn't mean putting yourself into water, which, I, of course, one can understand, right, why people thought this was true, because they only had what they knew. So, let me carry on what Arnell told Reverend Shiva Owen. So, also, they speak direct with the Spirit, mind to mind, which, again, you see talked about many times in uh, near-death experiences. So, there, here he goes on. Here are three ways, each distinct in its own operative method, but there are also others, and there are ways by which there may be blended in co composite. So, let me tell you. So, he gives an example. There is a spirit called Habdi in, in Sphere 2, and I reside in Sphere 7, and I wish to send him a message. Now, he, being conditioned to that lower sphere at the time, his inner self would be latent. In order, therefore, that he should not mistake my exact meaning, I would project both the message to him and also flash it in pictorial form, and he would verify the one by the other, and no error would ensue. Now, doesn't that make perfect sense? So, the spirit Arnell is describing the flash of light coming from the speaker's mouth in the same manner as John describing the speaking of Jesus. Also, he described things that Jesus said. Of course, he probably heard that mind and I may not have known that was mind to mind, but he heard also. So, you say Jesus was using both methods of, of communication with, you know, sending words, so to say, orders and pictures. So, now, let's go to verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of heaven, of hell and death. Now, this John hears that directly from Jesus. Now, Jesus there is stating the basic foundations of the spiritist doctrine. He said he is incarnated on earth. He died a physical death. And then he returned to the spirit world to once again be in spirit form, where he is immortal. Lastly, Jesus quite plainly said, stated he was in complete charge of all the areas around the earth, the different levels of heaven and all of the levels below, which according to spiritism comprises of the lower zones and the dark abyss. The lower zones start uh, on the surface of the earth, go up to the bottom part of heaven, and the dark abyss is below. So again, this is he's saying exactly what spiritism John heard, what spirit what Alan Kardec would give us later as, you know, complete, you know, facts or you know, has the, the codification of what spirits told him in the spirits book. So now let's go to verse two. Let's go find verse two on chapter two. Now, this is another one. I, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how they, thou cannot, canst not bear them which are evil 
and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So, I'm not going to get into what, you know, what exactly, what the meaning of a lot of it, what he said to the different churches around at, at that point in time. But the just of it is that Christ states that he has complete knowledge of people's innermost thoughts, desires, and emotions. Now, how many times have we seen that in, in first, spiritist literature, and second, NDEs? NDEs, more over and over again, you see people, people will go on and say, yes, I had a, a life review and I could see what I was thinking and I could see what the people I was talking to, what they were feeling and thinking. It was like everything was laid open. We have been told and spirits have revealed to us by mediums such as the Reverend Givaon and Chico Xavier that our thoughts are constantly recorded and stored, our life including everything from the innermost secrets and desires we keep to ourselves to our open conversations we have with others is etched in the universal database, the universal cloud, from which life, like film, can be recovered and shown to us at any moment. This is accomplished by having our thoughts continually monitored and saved. Our thoughts are tagged with a unique identification which will follow us from planet to planet and galaxy to galaxy. Our record is always there. So, if you're thinking living your life in the midst of the internet boom and the revolution where everything is recorded and everything is seen, well, that is just natural life for us as a spirit too. I mean, that is, there is, um, it's always there. So again, John is recording the words and the words ring true. Now, imagine, imagine this before knowing, before Spiritism showed us what Chico Xavier, actually it was Emmanuel, the spirit mentor that Chico Xavier said uh, in one of the books, it actually was in the, uh, the preface, saying that, yes, everyone has a unique ID, every thought is, is captured, everything you do, your innermost, everything that was told. And that was then also said in the books by Reverend Chief Owen. Of course, one was in Brazil, speaking in Portuguese, and one was in England, in English. So we have all these disparate sources. And then we have John in Revelation at, uh, you know, when Christ, right, I forgot how many years he was, he had that after Christ had, uh, had died on the cross. So you have all these people saying the same thing. It isn't, isn't that just exciting and interesting. So, now, now another kind of slight thing, and this is what I, I wanted to say. So, this is kind of a, this is kind of a um, very indirect way, but in verse 4, there's like a slight admonishment, right? In verse 4, after telling the leader of the church of Ephesus, he knows his innermost thoughts. Jesus goes on to give him a slight course correction. Nevertheless, this is uh, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So, you guys have, well, yeah, you're okay, but you know, come on, you need to do this. Well, so reports from spirits and from near-death experiences are full of examples 
where humans in physical form are given advice, mostly in a very calm and caring manner, but not always. Now, we have to remember, the spirit world talks to us differently depending on the audience. So, there, okay, we get to this where this is. Sorry about that. So, one could detect. So, let's look at, and Spiritism says that, you know, if you take the Old Testament, and people were more primitive at the time, you can detect from the Old Testament that orders are delivered and great punishment is promised if they are not obeyed. This is somewhat like we treat a three or four year old. Don't, don't do that. You're not going to reason with them. You just say, no, you're gonna, I'm going to take your toy away or, or whatever. We tell them an action to take, and if they disobey, action is immediate. If you catch them, right? If you're lucky. As an example, we tell my young daughter, she acted up on a trip to the cinema when we were watching a film, we would leave. And usually we lasted during the first outbreak, but if the second occurred, we'd get up and go home. So when a child is not capable of civilized reasoning, a system of rewards and punishment is the most effective manner to train them for their future growth. The spirit world treated the earth in antiquity the same manner. They directed us, and if we didn't respond correctly, repercussions would take place. This is completely understandable. After all, the vast majority of the human souls on the planet were primitive spirits who had not yet learned to listen to their conscience. Hence, a dictatorial approach was warranted. Now, skip forward thousands of years during the time of Christ, and a softer approach is taken. Advice is given, and the consequences are plainly stated as well. As and the benefits of complying with the stated request is also laid out. Hence, instead of the directive approach, a consultative dialogue is used, albeit there are still examples of harsh consequences if the persons did not comply, such as in verse 23, which seems harsh to us. Let me find verse 23 here. Oh, I didn't put it down there. Is and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So, and that sounds harsh to us, I will kill her children with death. What, what he is actually saying, and what the spirit world tells us, is that we are immortal souls. And they did not want that church to go off to the wrong path. Therefore, the spirit world put those souls in that position in that church. Those, all those souls have free will, right? They all had free will, and but they're going off the right path. They would be withdrawn from the chessboard and used another time. And that's what he said. No, that's not going to happen. If that church, if that starts going the wrong way, uh, that's I'm, I'm going to stop that. Because it probably had... If you look at this humble, very small beginnings of Christianity, these churches had, you know, of course, ripples that went out centuries. So, in summary, the tone is, please choose wide, wisely, for the rewards are great and the downside is not pleasant. Plan, uh, pleasant sorry. So, this is again... You know, and who knows, you know, uh, as John, how he remembers, he may have actually made it a bit more dramatic, right? I mean, I know I would remember. Hopefully he was given that opportunity to remember as well as he could. But he's done a really good job considering 
being there in that high of a level of heaven and absorbing all this information. So let's go to um, verse 4 in chapter 3. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So what is what does this mean? Why, why was that said? Well, it is because it, this verse implies that out of the population of Sardis, only a few will be able to enter one of the levels of heaven. Chico Xavier was reported to have said that only about 30% of the world's population, people on earth, uh, incarnates, not discarnates, possess enough spiritual credit. And this is in the 1950s. I'm not quite sure what decade in the, uh, in the 20th century. That only 30%, three zero, have enough spiritual credit to rise to heaven after their death. Now, spiritual literature notifies us that to reach the beginning phases of a planet of regeneration, that at least half the population must be morally and spiritually mature. It would have been very interesting to know what percentage of people who are capable of entering heaven 2,000 years ago. Because if I, you know, if we had that data point, we may be able to estimate the growth rate of spiritually mature souls who reside on earth from the time of Jesus to the present. Of course, I'm sure it's not like a straight sloping line, but it would still provide a hint of how long it would take you know, give or take a huge, <laughs> a, a huge standard deviation to attain a majority of good, honest people. Okay, let's go to verse 12. Now, verse 12 is interesting. Let me find it for you. Ah, right here. So, it's interesting in that the reward for a good and blameless life is a high level of heaven names, you know, New, Je New Jerusalem, and that the person does not have to go back. So read the, I'll read this verse and listen to this carefully. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which will cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Let me get some water here real quick. First, a statement. I, he shall no, go no more out. Now, I believe that this implies a spirit who has risen high enough doesn't have to incarnate once again upon the earth. And this is exactly what spiritism tells us. High spirits may only reincarnate once every 300 to 1,000 years. And that is usually for a mission to a planet in need. That's a voluntary mission, not a mission to go there purposely like I and most of us here uh, in order to reform our character and get rid of our primitive emotions. In the book, Brazil, The Heart of the World, the spirit Longinus, yes, that one, the centurion, who pierced the side of Jesus on the cross with a sphere to make sure that Jesus was dead, he was given the mission to come to Brazil at, as the last emperor, 
Pedro II. The book stated that if he succeeded in his mission, he wouldn't have to return to Earth. So again, Spiritism says, yeah, Jesus has made that promise, or the Spirit has made that promise to people. Yeah, you, you create this mission, you do good, you don't have to come back. And, you know, who wants to come back to this chaotic world? Now, when we're finding regeneration, you might change your mind. So second, the statement is, I will write upon him my new name. Now, this can get a little bit complicated, but spirits have a unique name, which is very rarely given to anyone on earth. It's like, do you give your cell phone number or your social security number or, or whatever number that is in whatever countries listen to me, that unique identifier that kind of says who you are and how you pay your taxes? You don't want to give that, right? That's very dangerous. If you have the spirit name, that, then you can, just thinking that name, you can that person will, will get some sort of message, right? So the Reverend G. Val Owen in the Lowlands of Heaven section communicates with his mother who resides in the spirit world. In seances with his mother, he encounters problems and seemingly hesitation in getting the names of spirits with whom his mother converses. He asks his mother the question, why is it so difficult for you to give names? And she reveals some details, yet there's still much hidden in her explanation. This is what she said. There's also difficulty in explaining the difficulty from your point of view. So apparently simple a matter, let us put it in this way. You know that with the old Egyptians, the name of a god or goddess was much more than a name as understood by the hardy materialistic Anglo-Saxon from whose race came the question, what's in a name? Well, from our point of view, and all that also of the ancient wisdom of Egypt, based on data from this side of the veil, meaning her side of the veil, there is a great deal in a name. Even in a mere repetition of some names, there is actual power and sometimes peril. That we know now as we did not win on earth. And so here we acquire a reverence for the entity, the name, which you would probably seem foolish. Nevertheless, it is partly for this reason that names do not come through to you so plentifully as many rather feeble investigators would wish. In the book Liberation, psychographed by Francisco Chico Xavier, inspired by the spirit Henri Luis, Spirit workers are cautioned not to speak the names of certain low, dangerous spirits, lest they quickly come to thwart the plans of benevolent spirits to help a soul in distress. Now, Valon's mother attempts to fully describe the complexity of the situation. Also, the mere utterance and transmission of some of these names is, when you are in this earth, earth region, a matter of more difficulty than you would perhaps deem. It is a subject, however, which is hard to explain to you, and only one which you will be able to understand when you have become more familiar with the fourth dimension which obtains here, which term also we use for want of a better. We will just refer to you two or three instances and then leave the matter. One is the giving to Moses of the name of the great officer of the Supreme who visited him. Moses, this is what she's saying, asked for that name and got it, and neither he nor anyone else to this day has been able to say what it means. Then the lesser angel who came to Jacob. Jacob asked for his name, and it was refused him, 
The angels who came to Abraham and to others in the Old Testament very seldom gave their names. Likewise, in the New Testament, most of the angels who come to minister earth denizens are simply so called, and when the name is given, as in the case of Gabriel, it is little understood as to its inner significance of the new name which no man, that man on earth, knoweth. Now, this all rings true what I have read before, and I believe in the vast majority of spiritist books, we are given names of spirits that may mean something to us, but isn't the official name of the spirit being written about. And in fact, when Henri Louise was picking a name for who was the author of the book, because that's not his real name, there was a boy near Chico, and, they, and the spirit says, Chico, what's the name of that boy? Oh, his name is Andre Luis. Okay, well, we'll use that name. So, that's important. A name is important, right? So, therefore, verse 12 hints at the great honor of being given a new name, just like Moses asked for his. Again, what John saw what he heard corresponds 2,000 years later of what we are hearing from other spirits. Now, let's go to verse 18. I I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and and write raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Now, one of the great recurring themes in spiritist literature is that suffering is the great purifier. Many illustrative sentences, such as, we must be cleansed by the white heat of suffering, or or as the pottery must be in the blinding heat of the kiln, so must we, all appraise us of the necessity to travel through multiple lives in order to transform our primitive emotions into civilized impulses. Another constant refrain is that for any sacrifice we make on earth will be repaid 100-fold in the spirit world. Hence, John's recording of the statement, I counsel thee to buy me of gold tried in the fire, brings clear meaning to the absolute requirement to quest via multiple lifetimes spiritual maturity so that someday one may rise to heaven. On the other hand, the same of they of thy nakedness do not appear means they means that when we are observed by high spirits, they immediately see our spiritual state. If we shine we also spirit we are also spiritually bright, but if we are dark and dull, then our level is low. Now, let's go on to chapter 4. Now this, chapter 4, verse 4. Let me find that. Ah. The ministers of heaven. Now, verse 4 provides a clue about the organization of heaven. And yes, heaven is organized. It is not just clouds and wings and harps with angels milling around aimlessly. So this is what it was said. And round the th- and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, for they had on their heads crowns of gold. Of course, the white raiment 
is probably it may not have been their real clothes. It may have just been the um, the reflection of God's light, which is very bright, and that's probably all John could see is all this brightness, right? All you know, the the man on the throne really bright, and the other people sitting are bright also. Now I haven't found the exact number of ministers which report to our Christ, but we don't we do know he has ministers who report directly to him. According to a lecture by Geraldo Dutragius given on the Apocalypse, such illustrious souls as Socrates, Buddha, and Zoaster are all ministers who came to earth to prepare the way for Christianity and to teach us the methods to become better spirits. Hence, this is why the messages from different parts and cultures of the world are similar. Harold said in his, in his lecture that Chico told us in 1974 that the ministers of Jesus are the grand instructors of humanity, that one of Jesus' ministers, Antuelio, is one of the grand instructors for the physical and spiritual evolution of the planet. Another minister, who's not named, is in charge of the biological evolution of the planet, while a separate minister is the head of the geography of the planet. Now, when a mission is undertaken with no room for errors, one of Jesus' ministers is sent to be reincarnated on earth, where the highest missions are reserved for the most accomplished and pure spirits. Their cumulative effect on history of our world is incalculable. We may still be living in Thatch Hutch and living to the ripe old age of 40 if it wasn't for their design assistance. Now, Harold goes on, and let me get two examples, too, of what I've heard later in Spiritist Talks, is that Socrates and Buddha, are the spirit world, are planning for them to incarnate again on Earth. And Socrates was, what, 400 years before Christ. So every 2,400 years, right? So it just shows you a high spirit doesn't need to come back unless it's for a mission. So... Geraldo goes on to refer to the book Brazil Coração do Mundo, Patria do Evangelical, which is Brazil, Heart of the World, Patron of the Gospel. Written in Portuguese, not yet translated into English. In the spirit, Humberto de Campos told Chico that the Minister for Sociological Progress is Hayel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. In the book, there is a dialogue between Jesus and Hayel. They are discussing, discussing where to put the pioneers from the West into the New World, meaning uh, Europe, where they can establish a new location to build spiritism for the future. And Jesus asked Hael, where in the New World would he suggest? And Hael answered that South America is a wonderful and charming spot, is wonderful and charming, and that the place which later would, would be known as Brazil is an ideal spot a perfect country from which to evangelize the rest of the world with piety and faith. Now, the number stated by John is interesting. He gives us a number of 24. Multiples of 12 are a reoccurring theme in the communication from the spirits, all the way from the 144,000 mentioned in the Bible to the numbers of ministers assigned to the governor of Nosalar. The governor's staff to assist him in managing the celestial colonies have six ministries, each with 12 ministers, for a total of 72 ministers reporting directly to him. Now, let's go to the next one that is 
uh, to me, another extremely interesting one. Ah, verse 6, a sea of glass. And before the throne was a sea of glass, like unto crystal, and, the, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and bound. Now, we do have reports about heavenly cities. A high spirit told us about a crystal city in heaven. This is how it was described to the Reverend G. Vau Owen. And it's described by the spirit Zabdile. The great gate of this palace is of liquid stone. This is quite literally to be read. The stone was not solid, but in flux, and the colors of the gate change from one moment to moment, affected both by what went forward within the house and also by what was a gate upon the plain before it. It was also affected from the watchtowers on the plain, but only by those on this side, not by others on the other side of the city, which were in touch with stations on the other side of the palace, it was very beautiful to look at. That gateway, massive on e either side and blending into the wall of the main structure, solid above the square arch and changing in beauty as the colors changed. One part only was constant, and that was the great keystone in the middle above, which was always and ever shown red for love. So reports the spirit Zabdile. It was a communication of Irvin G. Bowen describing the capital city on the fifth sphere of heaven above the earth. Zabdile, who resides on the tenth level, was sent on a mission to a sphere he knew well, having lived there during his time after rising from the fourth and before he was promoted to the sixth sphere. Now, edifices beyond our capabilities and superior to our imagination all made power possible by higher spirits who possess the skill to create with thought. Group of spirits, skilled spirits, cooperate in planning and building towers, palaces, lakes, and parks, everything that is desired and needed for life in the spirit realm. Hence, the architecture is only limited by the creative power of, of the artists who are given the task to conjure the requested object. Zadal describes his entry into the city. We have passed within and found many roomy chambers about the gateway, in which were recorders who read the messages and influences coming at the gate, divided them into their own proper groups, and sent them whither they should go. They had expected our coming, and two youths were waiting in the roadway beyond the gate to lead us to the angel lord. We passed down a broad street, whereupon went happy people of faith, as ever people are hereabout. I simply write it down for you who sometimes and often do not smile for contentment within. For us, it is as we should tell you, the sky today is blue in Egypt in the summertime. Which of course, in England at that point in time, that was the expression they used, right? Egypt was always sunny. Now let's go to another independent. This was uh, Yvonne. And she had an NDE in which she described walking towards a crystal city. Now, she wasn't allowed to remember her time inside the city. She could only recall the vision of stone which shines. So again here on verse 4, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Now, there's another example of an appearance of Jesus on the 10th level of heaven. 
where he was stationed on a mountain that overlooked a vast plain. There was a temple on top of the mountain, and below were thousands of spirits waiting for it to begin. So here's the description of the ceremony. A while he stood in rapture, silent, still, and beautiful altogether to look upon. Meanwhile, in the throng of bright ones about him, a movement began. Slowly and with no haste, the multitude rose into the air and took shape until there was an oval of light round behind and on both sides of him. Those in rear were higher than his head, and those in front were lower than his feet. So he was actually all in spiritually, you know, they don't need to stay on the ground. They can go in the air. So there's all these people around, around Jesus. So a frame was made, and as it took shape, their brightness increased until we scarce discerned the forms of them by reason of the brightness of their glory. They shone golden about him, but he was more radiant still than all the other besides. He said they shone golden about him, just as John saw these people that had white and gold, right? He was more radiant still than all the other. Only before his feet was no arc of light, but a breach was made, so that the oval was not complete, but gapped at the lowest part. Then he moved his left hand. He extended it and stretched forth towards us in benediction. With his right hand he tilted the chalice towards us, and from its bowl poured forth, forth a thin, thin stream of many-colored light, which fell upon the rock before him, and flowed down the faith, uh, face of the mountain towards the plain. As it flowed, it increased in volume until it began to lap over the plain towards us, still expanding. It reached us in a broad river of light, and in it were seen colors in all their hues, from deep purple to pale lilac, from deep red to faint pink, from orange brown to gold. All these mingled here and there in streams of green or other composite hue. Now, telling us is that Jesus states a grand production, not merely to entertain, but to demonstrate the unity of his ministers and functionaries, and to illustrate the creative power awaiting each and every person in the plain below. It also piqued the interest of every spectator. As Abdile tells us, the river of light made its way into the vast crowd. So it came, this is Abdel's talking, so it came to us, and among us, as we stood there wondering, both the thing done and the, all the beauty of it. Now it swept onward until it had covered all ground on which stood that vast multitude of people. But they did not stand in the liquid lake, for it did not rise upon their feet, but form a sea beneath them, and they stood upon it. Nor could the eye penetrate to see the grassland upon what it, which it rested as upon a seabed. It seemed to lie there beneath us very deep, a sea of liquid glass. Verse 6, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. That's what he said. And of course, Zabdal, in the early 1900s, right, 1910, 1920, said, there was a sea of liquid glass, rainbow-tinted, and upon that sea we stood as firm I as firm on ground, yet it was all in motion, and here and there in little waves, and here and there in rivulets of red or blue or other color, flowing among us underfoot. Very strange and very pretty to see. But in a while it was noticed that it did not serve everyone equally. There was one here and another at some little distance, and this repeated throughout the throng. 
who became conscious of a change in them, and this made them to be silent and in very deep meditation. This change also soon became apparent to their near neighbors, for this is what they saw. The flood of light about him, who was thus changed, ran yellow gold, and lapped first his ankles, and then rising like a pillar of liquid glass, all radiant, bathed his knees, and then still rose until about him was a pillar of light, and in the midst of golden radiance. Then upon his head, in place of a jewel or chaplet, or whatever he wore, there appeared eleven stars. These were also of gold, but of a brilliance greater than the stream, as if it had been concentrated into eleven jeweled stars to crown the chosen one. On each of those so dwelt with that fillet of stars rested upon his head near his forehead, and clasped his head on each side between his ears. Thus it rested and shone, make the wearer more beautiful, for the light seemed to invade his countenance and all of his body and uplift above him his fellows. Now, this display that Jesus created had intelligence to seek out a selected number of the audience. Jesus' Jesus' attendants designed a a spectacle that demonstrated they knew each and every soul among the multitude on the plain below. This is, all this information is in my book, Heaven and Below. And, um, so therefore, before I end this, is therefore what John saw, a sea of glass around the throne, has been demonstrated before by various spirits and an NDE survivor. It is the little details. This is what I love about reading. Is when you look at these little details, sometimes they mean more than the small, uh, than the big revelations. It's just, sometimes it's the small details that makes the proof, right? And, and they reveal great, you know, they reveal little parts of this great mystery of this, what life is like beyond the veil. And now we have one more nugget to add, to give greater weight that John was truly lifted into heaven to witness what he had so he could warn the world of the dangers ahead. Now, I have to end here because we're almost out of time. And I will go on to verse 7 through 9 for the four beasts uh, next Sunday. So I will do that. Uh, and, I, and I think you'll you'll be even more amazed at what uh, some of these have told us. So it's just extremely interesting. Let me bring this down. <clears throat> there we go. Now, you can find much more about heaven in my book, Heaven and Below. So if you want to learn, first I would say, always read the spirits book first that will that will certainly help you and um and that gives you the great founding but then if you want to explore more about how i've categorized i've taken is interesting information from different spirits you know mediums writers the bible the gospel according to spiritism all that and kind of said okay this is what heaven is is like and that's why in my book heaven and below it's the first book of a series of three books Heaven and Below, Spirits and the Spirit Universe, and then How We Are Guided by Spirits. Now, if you would like to also talk to a spiritist directly, if you're watching this, because we we take this Facebook Live on Kardec Radio, and we put it on, I put it on YouTube and the MyBitsuit channel, so you can watch it. Please share and comment on it, because since YouTube doesn't really like any type of 
different types of philosophy. Um, so it's important to spread spiritism, trying to help us, you know, get more people to see what we're talking about. So I really appreciate if you could and share this also on Facebook, different sites on Facebook. So if you want to talk to someone and just ask your questions and be skeptical, I, I love that. Uh, you can contact at spiritismstudy.org and you can create, you can ask for an appointment with myself or other people that have volunteered. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll write you back and say, yes, we can meet at the time you've selected or we can suggest another time and can talk to you by Skype or WhatsApp or however way is best for you. So I'd like to encourage everyone to really search out spiritism, read about spiritism, not just because I want you to. You need to motivate yourself. Right? Spiritism tells us to really learn, you have to get, create a firm foundation, a rational foundation to your faith. And we all have faith in certain ways, right? We have faith that when we open our garage, that the road is still there, right? And that's what we need to do with God and spirit. We have to have faith that they exist. But you have to do that yourself. And you have to have faith, not because I or anyone else tells you that this exists. It's because really all I'm trying to do in my books and also in the Spirit's book, this is how I, Alan Kardec is so effective. He doesn't say, you have to believe this or you're going to rot in hell. No, he's telling you, no, you don't have to believe anything. It's just going to take you longer to get where you want to be. It's up to you. Same thing. I'm just trying to get, bring in information, let you absorb it, let you decide, does that fit with your knowledge of the world? And, you know, so many of us have had, or your aunt or uncle had, or your brother or sister have had episodes, or you start reading about NDEs, where, you know, science doesn't explain that, right? Or, you know, how can someone know the future? How can that be, right? Because that, that's what happened to me. And it just changes your whole attitude. So keep your mind open if you can. Not, not a great deal. Your next life, you somehow the spirit world will arrange your curriculum in life because we're all here on earth to learn so that you'll have this, these little signs and signals that will get you thinking about life beyond just our materialistic culture, right? And I know that's not easy, especially in this day and age where people think that anyone that believes in anything other than what's written on a piece of paper or on you know, YouTube, for instance, on the web is not real. Well, you know, scientists will tell you they don't know. There's so much more to learn. That scientist doesn't know everything. And a good scientist will tell you that's true. There's so much more to learn. And there's many scientists who believe that all these things how the universe was made, there's some guiding hand behind it. Now, many don't. They say it was random. So it's up to you to decide for yourself. So I want to say, everyone, thank you for listening to me, please go to my site, nwspiritism.com. Join the site if you'd like. Join my Facebook page, Spiritism and the Spirit World Around Us. And subscribe to my YouTube and BitChute channels. It's all on nwspiritism.com. You can click on the links. I have links on the right-hand side. I also have links to all of my books, which I hope that you will enjoy. Also, I have written, I have now finished a couple audiobooks, which one is... Um, the Seven Tenets of Spiritism, which is an audiobook available. I will bring that one up, which is my own, which is my own journey. Let me find it. Oh, I don't have it here. 
My other audio book, though, I just, I have out there. Oh, there it is. Seven Tenets of Spiritism, which is now an, on an audio book. I uh, hope that you enjoy that, if that's what you like. I've had a lot of people say they want audio books, and that's what I have tried to do. And then, of course, my other audiobook that was just done just a month ago is How to Live Inner Peace Through Spiritism, of how you can yourself rise into uh, ascend and to be a higher spirit into the levels of heaven by following the advice of the spirit Henri Louise and you know a step-by-step procedure. I kind of go through what he meant by those steps, what the spirit will means by those steps, and how that I think you can accomplish those steps. So these these are all things, these are things I put on the table, you can use them or not. So I want to say everyone, God bless and good night to all of you, or good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Please research and study about spiritism it will it will open a whole new world to you god bless you and good night